0: The text of this morning's sermon is 1 Samuel 6, if you want to turn there, 1 Samuel 6. Uh, last week in chapter 6, we saw that uh, we must look to God's Word alone for answers, for why God does the severe things that He does. Uh, we saw that He wants to re- reveal Himself uh, in this passage to both the Philistines and to His own people to display His grace and also to show the cost of sin. And today, we're going to look in chapter 6 at how the Philistines and Israel responded to God's severe grace. First Samuel 6, starting in verse 1. The ark of the Lord was in the country of the Philistines seven months. And the Philistines called for the priests and the diviners and said, "'What shall we do with the ark of the Lord? "'Tell us with what we shall send it to its place.'" They said, If you send away the ark of the God of Israel, do not send it empty, but by all means return him a guilt offering. Then you will be healed, and it will be known to you why his hand does not turn away from you. And they said, What is the guilt offering we shall return to him? They answered, Five golden tumors and five golden mice, according to the number of the lords of the Philistines. For the same plague was on all of you and on your lords. So you must make images of your tumors and images of your mice that ravage the land and give glory to the God of Israel. Perhaps he will lighten his hand from off you and your gods and your land. Why should you harden your hearts as the Egyptians and Pharaoh hardened their hearts? After he had dealt severely with them, did they not send the people away and they departed? Now then... Take and prepare a new cart and two milk cows on which there has never come a yoke and yoke the cows to the cart but take their calves home away from them and take the ark of the lord and place it on the cart and put in or, and put in a box at its side the figures of gold which you are returning to him as a guilt offering then send it off and let it go its way and watch if it goes up on the way to its own land to beshemesh then It is he who has done this to us, or he he who has done us this great harm. But if not, then we shall know it is not his hand that struck us. It happened to us by coincidence. The men did so, and took two milk cows, and yoked them to the cart, and shut up their calves at home. And they put the ark of the Lord on the cart, and the box with the golden mice, and images of their tumors. And the cows went straight in the direction of Beth Shemesh, along one highway, lowing as they went. They turned neither to the right nor to the left, and the lords of the Philistines went after them as far as the border of Beth Shemesh. Now the people of Beth Shemesh were reaping their wheat harvest in the valley, and when they lifted up their eyes and saw the ark, they rejoiced to see it. The cart came into the field of Joshua of Beth Shemesh and stopped there. A great stone was there. And they split up the wood of the cart and offered the cows as a burnt offering to the Lord. And the Levites took down the ark of the Lord and the box that was beside it, in which were the golden figures, and set them upon the great stone. And the men of Beth offered burnt offerings and sacrificed sacrifices on that day to the Lord. And And when the five lords of the Philistines saw it, they returned that day to Ekron. These are the golden tumors that the Philistines returned as a guilt offering to the Lord one for Ashton, one for Gaza, one for Ashkelon, one for Gath, and one for Ekron. And the golden mice, according to the number of the cities of the Philistines, belonging to the five lords, both fortified cities and unwalled villages. The great stone beside which they set down the ark of the Lord is a witness to this day in the field of Joshua of Bethshemesh. And he struck some of the men of Beth Shemesh because they looked upon the ark of the Lord, he struck 70 men of them, and the people mourned because of the Lord had struck the people with a great blow. Then the men of Bessemes said, Who is able to stand before the Lord, this holy God, and to whom shall he go up away from us? So they sent messengers to the inhabitants of Kiriath-Jerim, saying, The Philistines have returned the ark of the Lord. Come down and take it up to you.
1: In a moment here we'll pray, but I just want to say to you guys, uh, as we're singing these songs, it's kind of a bummer to me that our pews are kind of one right in front of the other because we're singing words about our salvation. We can't see each other's faces. The Bible tells us we're supposed to sing to each other as we glorify God. And I'm a deer hunter. I like bow hunting. But there's nothing I like more than having a friend in the tree with me that after success to be able to share that experience and celebrate. And so I just say that if, we ever got, if I ever got to design a church, we'd be singing to each other as we're praising God for, for our great salvation. I just kind of want to turn around. I feel like it would be weird, but I just want to watch you guys. Sing. (laughs) So, let's uh, go to the Lord in prayer. Uh, Father, as we come to Your Word, we uh, stand in awe. We understand the question that the Israel people have. Who could stand before this holy God? As You strike Israelites dead, as You strike the Philistines with a great blow, God, I pray You would give us wisdom from this text. Lord, I pray that You would help us know how to walk through our difficult circumstances, how to interpret them wisely, what we ought to learn from them, how we ought to draw near to You. God, I pray uh, You would help me this morning bring glory and honor to Your name. And Lord, I pray that Your Word would feed the sheep with the grace of Your Word. Lord, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you've been familiar or around Christianity very long, one of the statements that reoccurs, or if you just read the Psalms or read the Proverbs, you continue to see this phrase, the fear of the Lord. And as you hear that, I wonder if you have a good feeling or a bad feeling as you hear that phrase, the fear of the Lord. Imagine if you're having one of your roughest days. The circumstances of your life are difficult. Do you want to hear on that day or do you want to know on that day the fear of the Lord? Potentially, what you're thinking is give me something positive on my tough days. Give me a good thought or a fluffy thought on those days. That's the fleshly Response to the difficult circumstances of our life. I just want to give you a small sampling, kind of rapid fire of texts that talk about the fear of the Lord. And I want you to focus on how positive it is viewed. So Joshua, when he's speaking to the people, after they've crossed the Jordan, God has split the Jordan, they walked through on dry land. In Joshua 4.21, we read this, "...and He said to the people of Israel, when your children ask their fathers in times to come, what do these stones mean that they have set up? Then you shall let your children know Israel passed over this Jordan on dry ground." For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan for you until you passed over, as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which He dried up for us until we passed over, so that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty, now get this, and that you may fear the Lord your God forever." Set up these stones. Tell your children about this so that you and your children forever will fear the Lord your God. Well, I don't want to fear the Lord. That's not good. Well, here it's in the positive sense. Do this so that it will always happen. Isaiah 33, verses 5 and 6, prophesying of Jesus Christ. Listen to this. The Lord is exalted. He dwells on high. He will fill Zion with justice and righteousness. And He'll be the stability of your times, abundance of salvation, wisdom, and knowledge. The fear of the Lord is Zion's treasure." I'm sorry, that wasn't the one on Christ. But in this text, it says, The fear of the Lord is Zion's treasure. Have you ever thought about the fear of the Lord as your treasure? And then in Isaiah 11, verses 1 and 3, this is the one that speaks of Christ. There shall come forth from the shoot, or come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. And a branch from his root shall bear fruit. This is speaking of Christ. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And get this. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. So this promised one is going to have knowledge in the fear of the Lord. In fact, his delight is in the fear of the Lord. Treasure, delight. Psalm one. transgression speaks to the wicked deep in his heart. There is no fear of God before his eyes. A man who's being deceived deep down in his heart has no fear of God, which would be a good thing. Psalm 111.10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All who practice it have good understanding. It's the beginning of wisdom. Proverbs 8.13, the fear of the Lord is hatred of evil. Is that a good thing? Proverbs 19.23, the fear of the Lord leads to life. Whoever has it rests satisfied. Isn't that amazing? (laughs) Let me read that again. The fear of the Lord leads to life. Whoever has it, rests satisfied. Proverbs 16.6 By steadfast love and faithfulness, iniquity is atoned for. And by the fear of the Lord, one turns away from evil. Proverbs 15.16 Better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure with trouble with it. It's better to have little bit and have the fear of the Lord, which is the big treasure, than to have treasure in trouble with the treasure. Proverbs 14.26, In the fear of the Lord, one has strong confidence. Is that opposite of what you maybe thought? And His children will have a refuge. The fear of the Lord is the fountain of life that one may turn away from the snares of death. And in the New Testament, Acts 29, Luke, speaking of the church, says, so the church throughout all of Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and was walking in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit. Did you think the fear of the Lord and comfort would be compatible in the same sentence? Or that treasure and the fear of the Lord could be compatible in the same sentence? The Philistines thought no. Israel thought no. And we're going to see that This morning, in this text, as we consider the responses of the Philistines who've been struck with tumors and have been, uh, there's been many deaths as a result of the ark being in their presence and Yahweh striking them dead. And as we see the response of Israel when 70 men are killed in their midst. And my prayer is we will learn. The lesson they didn't learn. And so here's my challenge. In the midst of painful circumstances, you must draw near to God in the fear of the Lord. All right. And point one is this draw near to the Lord who is sovereign over. all painful circumstances rather than seeking comfort merely in changing them that's the natural fleshly response get me out of difficult circumstances but my challenge is draw near to the god who's sovereign over your difficult circumstances there's benefit There's refuge. There's life there. So let's look at our text. Let's remember what's going on, what Scott just read. So, you guys know, just heard the story. As the Philistines celebrate in victory and bring the ark before In Dagon's house, bring the ark of the Lord, which represents the presence of Yahweh. They feel like they've defeated Yahweh. They're going to have the ark bow down to Dagon. Dagon, as you know, tips over. His arms are cut off. His head falls off. They begin to get struck with tumors. They're dying And the people are trying to figure out how do we get rid of this ark? What do we do? They go to the diviners and they say, What do we do with this ark? And they said, What you do is you make golden images of your tumors and of the mice of this plague. You need to send it as a, as a offering to Yahweh, as, uh, These gifts are sent away. Hopefully, the plague goes away with it. But then the diviners set up this cart and they choose two cows. And here's the key they choose two cows that are, have milking calves. The most unlikely cows. They've never been under a yoke. And they want to find out did Yahweh really do this to us? See, they're trying to figure out the, what's, what's bringing about their difficult circumstances. They're asking questions. And so they put the most unlikely scenario in place and they send off the ark. And we read in verse 12, now the cows went straight on the road in the direction of Bethshemesh, they went along the same highway, lowing as they went. They did not turn from the right or to the left. And God was saying, It's me. Who you're starting to figure out, or what you're starting to figure out about me, it's me. It's Yahweh, I'm stronger than Dagon. I don't need Israel to fight for me. I'm a God who has no needs. And as one commentator put it, this was Yahweh's cow revelation to the Philistines. He says, perhaps we could say God spoke in a clear, low voice. And I laughed when I read that. And God tells the Philistines, it was me. And the five kings went and watched that ark make it all the way to Beth Shemesh. And then, evidently, they go home and everything is okay. And they don't bow down to worship Yahweh. They don't seek. God, the true God, the God unlike other gods as you read on in First and Second Samuel. They continue to fight against Israel. And they did what you and I often do. Change my circumstances now. And they were no wiser in them. You see, God was showing them grace. Grace as He's striking them dead, and as they have these tumors, God is showing them, you don't know who I am or what I'm like. And He's showing them that He's a holy God worthy to be feared. And what they want to do is get rid of Him. He says, it's me. As the cows go straight, the thing they should not do, they should go back for their young, but in total comfort, as they low on the way, God says, this is who I am. And they miss the grace of God in it. Let me give you an illustration of what this would be like, Are several. This would be like driving on a county road in rural South Dakota at night, pitch black. And you look up and in front of you, on both sides of the road, you see a flashing red light. Flashing like this. And in those flashing red lights, you see two white X's like this, right next to them. And your response is, these flashing red lights are so annoying. So you take your sun visor and you put your sun visor down so you don't have to be bothered by the flashing red lights. And what happens? You drive right into the train that's what the philistines did the grace of the flashing red lights of yahweh saying i am god there is not no other same thing just ignore it change my circumstances Or it would be like a person waking up in the middle of the night to the most annoying sound, that fire alarm that's just ringing in your ears and you're so annoyed that this screaming, high-pitched sound is ringing in your ears that you go over to the fire alarm, you rip out the batteries, and you go back to sleep. change my circumstances now rather than learn from the warning. I was going to use the illustration of the tornado sirens going off and it would be like the fool who runs outside, jumps in his car and seeks to chase it, but then I'd be condemning myself. But it is that foolish. You see? That is what it's like when we hate are difficult circumstances, and we only seek rather than wonder about the God who is sovereign over them and what this might be speaking to us. We just one instant pleasure. And so, my challenge is going to be as. John Piper said many times, don't waste your cancer. Don't waste your difficult days. Don't waste your difficult circumstances wishing that the circumstances would just change and fail to see God is sovereign and God is good. Tomorrow I'm going to lead a funeral. I'm going to go to a graveside. I'm going to stand there and watch a body go six feet down into the ground. And it would be foolish to say, where is God in this? This is, this is crazy. Why would God... No! This is God loving me, saying, Sam, this world is fallen. Sin kills... People need to know a Savior. Every funeral is the flashing red lights of God's grace. Every tornado, every disaster, every sickness, every washing machine that breaks. This is not right. It ought not be this way. My day ought not continue to go so badly. And why is it going badly? Because of sin. Because man sinned, God cursed the earth in love as he's screaming out to creation, you need a new heavens, you need a new earth, you need a graveside that will be a resurrection site. And we know that as we flee to this God, he's a God of grace. As we're going to see in a moment. So what 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 does this look like in practice? I want to give you a couple examples. For Paul, he starts out 2 Corinthians like this in in chapter 1, verse 8. Here, listen to his bad month, in a sense. He says. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. You think you had a bad day? Listen to this. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. So Let that sink in. His life was so hard in the recent past that he thought, I'm dying. It's beyond my strength, sentence of death. This is where I die. What glasses does Paul have to interpret those situations? It's an example to us. He has a pair of biblical godly, spiritual sight, so much so he can say this, indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. he says it's to draw me to god and then he says he delivered us from such deadly peril and he'll and he will deliver us on him we have set our hope that he'll deliver us again and then he says you also must help us by prayer why would he say that you also must help us. I just suffered. I thought I was going to die. God delivered us. You also must help us by prayer. Here's His reason. So that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. <laughs> this is amazing. He says, my difficult circumstances are, happen to make me rely not on myself, but on God. And by the way, pray for us in difficult circumstances so that when God delivers us, people will praise God that their prayers were answered. That's a positive outlook on the difficult circumstances of your life. And it's not crazy. It's the logical response to difficult circumstances beyond what we've maybe Experienced even. Some of you know it. You know what it means to despair of life itself. And if Paul's right, even in those moments, it's saying, you're my only hope. You're my only salvation. I don't want to drive you away because you're my only hope. Philistines drove Yahweh away. And I could show you several other passages. You have Peter preaching in Acts 5. We don't have time to go there, but they tell him to quit preaching Christ. He says, Who are we going to obey, God or man? And they beat him and the disciples, and they flog them, and they worship that they could be worthy of being persecuted for Christ's name. Those are crazy. That's a crazy perspective on my. Oh, praise you, Lord, that we could be found worthy to be in such difficult. Because I could see myself there. Lord, you want me to follow you? You realize how hard this has been? Everywhere I go, they beat me up. They're yelling at me. It's so difficult. It's so I want to see, I want to have this faith on my worst days, on my just monotonous bad days. I want to fear the Lord, learn. I just want to go through this paradigm. Why am I having a bad day? Sin. What do I deserve in sin? Hell. What am I getting right now? Not hell. What has God done for me? He sent His own Son to take my hell. How's my bad day looking now? You know? That's seeing the God beyond the circumstances. Praising Him for the warning signs to say, oh yeah, we need God. He's our only hope. And then we get to Israel and their response in verse 19 we see that Yahweh struck some of the men of Bethshemesh because they looked upon the ark of the Lord. He struck 70 men of them, and the people mourned because the Lord had struck the people with a great blow. And in verse 20, they ask a wonderful question, the right question. And then the men of Bethshemesh said, Who is able to stand before this holy God? As they recognize we, Israel, are being put to death because He's holy and we're offending His holiness. Well, who can stand before Him then? It's a great question that all of us should ask. How are you going to stand before the holy God of the universe? Every person should ask that question. Every person who sees the pain and suffering in the world should say, how is this ever going to be changed? And so they ask a good question, but then they do the same thing the Philistines do because their second question is this, and to whom shall He go up away from us? One of the saddest statements you could ever have because, in the midst of utter fear and hopelessness, they want their creator and the only one who can save them to leave. Why? So that their circumstances can go back to normal. See, that's the way we think in our flesh immediate change. Right now, we don't think, what is this teaching me about God who is sovereign over the 70 men who are killed, over the ones being killed in Philistine, over the tornadoes. We need to ask the right question, but not do what they did. Because if God is God, then where's our help come from? Our help comes from from the Lord. How tragic is it that those who could repent, the Philistines could repent and fear the Lord and dwell in His presence, but they would rather have Him leave. It's like Israel shutting off the fire alarm saying, leave us alone. I want to go to sleep. It's annoying. Quit bugging us, Yahweh. Get out of our hair. And C under point 1 in your notes brings us to Jesus. Same thing happened with Jesus, didn't it? When God Himself walked on this earth. You remember when Jesus cast the demons out of the demoniac? You remember what happened? He cast the demons into the pigs. The pigs run off the cliff into the water. And then in verse 33 of Matthew 8, we read this The herdsmen fled, and going into the city, they told everything, especially what had happened to the demon possessed men. And behold, all the city came out to meet Jesus, and when they saw him, they begged him to leave the region. Same thing. Jesus comes. He heals a man who needs spiritual help. He kills pigs and they say, get out of here. We don't like what you're doing. Remember when Peter was fishing? All the fish start to come into the boat. Jesus tells them to... What does He say? Away from Me, for I am a sinful man. See, as the sinner recognizes God's holiness... We want to repel away. And Christ, Peter finds out, is his Savior, is his hope. Pilate, what do you want me to do with Jesus? What do you want me to do with Him? He's your King. What do they say? Crucify Him. Get Him out of here. Israel, things were good until God showed up. and begin messing with our circumstances rather than see God was saving them. He was sending His Savior. This is the promised one. We can do the same thing. And we do almost every week. We'll do the same thing they did. Secondly, let your painful circumstances lead you to the cross of Christ where the worst day and the best day collided into a glorious revelation of our God. That's a mouthful. Let me read it again. Let your painful circumstances lead you to the cross of Christ where the worst day and the best day collided into a glorious revelation of our God. Last week, at the end of the service, I said, God's severe judgment and loving grace are irrevocably connected at the cross of Jesus. His severe judgment is put on display in the cross and His amazing love at the same place, at the same time, on the same man. Boom! They collide there. They cross there. Both things happening so that we could ask the question, how bad is sin and what, is, what will God do to judge it? And what did we say? We would point to the cross and say, look at the cross. You want to know how bad sin is? When it's on His Son, He crushes Him. That's how bad sin is. That's how serious God takes sin. And then we could say, well, how great is God's love? We would point to the same cross and say, you want to know how great God's love is? That He would send His only Son and He would put your sin on Him, crush Him, and give you His life so that you can live not only in heaven in His presence, but be an heir with Christ, a brother to Christ, have God as your Father, and inherit everything in the presence of God. Ephesians tells us that in the coming ages, for all eternity, this is what is going to happen in heaven. In the coming ages, God will pour out His unfathomable, unfathomable riches forever on those who are in Christ. You see, we never get to the point where we get to heaven and say, thanks for the grace, now let us give it back to you. You're given more and more and more riches and glory in Christ And it never ends. And we're always the ones receiving grace. And He's always the one giving it. And the love of God is shown in the cross. So why do I point this out? Would we expect that our worst day could collide into a revelation of God Himself? Would we think that God might act in that way? Let me ask you a question. What was the worst sin that's ever been committed on the face of the earth? Would it not be the killing of God's own Son unjustly? False trial? Wicked men calling for a murderer rather than Him? Is this the not the most wicked act well now get this Acts 4:27 says for truly in this city were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus whom you anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place Pontius Pilate, Herod, the people, the Jews, the Gentiles, they're all gathering to do what God's predestined plan had ordained to happen. The worst day on the face of the earth was predestined by God. Acts 2.22 says the same thing. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through Him in your midst, as you yourself know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. But God raised Him up, loosening the pangs of death because it was not possible for Him to be held by it. See, God predestines the worst day to be the best day. That the worst sin brings about the greatest grace there could ever be. And if that's true, why do you and I think that our difficult circumstances are different than that? That God might be working the sweetest Fellowship, revealing Himself in the most vivid way on the days that aren't going as planned. If He does it on the best day and the worst day, He probably does it on the other days as well. And most of us have experienced that. Christ becomes sweet when we fall down and we have no more hope can't stand up anymore we need a savior and we fall in his arms he is our only hope and so they ask the question who can stand before the lord this holy god here's what peter said in 1 peter 3:18 for christ suffered once for sins the righteous for the unrighteous, that He might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh but made alive in the Spirit. Jesus died so that He can grab sinners and bring them to God. Who can stand before this holy God? He who has clean hands and a pure heart. Jesus is the One who has clean hands and a pure heart. And in Christ, He can do the unthinkable. He can bring you into the very presence of God so that this holy God that's scary, that makes us blush at His holiness, we can come to it and experience the glory of it. The fear of the Lord doesn't go away. He just gets to be our dad and remain big and God. Isn't that awesome? Study the universe, how big it is. That's the one who spoke it that you get to live in the presence of. That is terrifying and that is awesome. And he's our daddy and I still fear him. He's God. He's my Savior in Christ. Listen how Jude ends. I love this. Now to Him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of His glory with great joy. I don't know if you got that. Let me read it again. Now to Him. Now picture sinful Sam Ellison worse than you can ever imagine. What if you knew every private thought I ever had? This sinful, wicked man. The Bible says, now to him who is able, that is a strong man. Now to him who is able to keep you, Sam, from stumbling and present you blameless before the presence of glory, before the presence of His glory, I love this, with great joy. Jesus doesn't drag me there saying, you dirty, rotten sinner, I'll bring you to my Father. With great joy, Jesus puts His righteousness, His perfect life around my shoulders and says, you'll stand. Come here. You'll stand. I'm your Savior. Father, Father, my prayer is that we would ponder the question Israel asked. Who can stand before You? Your holiness. Lord, I thank You that Your Word makes so clear that salvation comes from You. That to drive You away in the midst of suffering would be foolish. Lord, I pray that our suffering, our life in this fallen world, would be teaching us, revealing to us Your holiness, our sin, and presenting Christ to us who can make us stand. Lord, if there's anyone here who thinks they can out-sin the grace of God, I challenge them to consider the work of Christ. Cannot God, if He crushes His own Son, give you grace and indeed he can lord i pray that no one here would leave here confident that they'll stand but confident because they've fallen on the only hope which is christ pray this in jesus name amen